Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Game Guys podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy February 15th. Hope all of you had a wonderful weekend. Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day, whatever you were celebrating this weekend. Hope you had a good one. Good to be back with you. Uh, lots to get to today going on in Gamecock land. And uh, as always, our news segment is brought to you by Heritage Digital. You heard the ad at the top. Uh, if you're having issues with your IT people, uh, Hook up with Matt. Matt's a big Gamecock. He'll do you right. One low monthly payment, uh, and it's a turnkey solution uh, for all of you guys. I want to thank all of you again uh, for tuning in today, and the response has been overwhelming with the podcast lately and uh, other things that we do. You know, the Big Spur Brief, uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Big Spur, uh, and get that. It's a five-minute quick hitter. Uh, if you don't quite have time to listen to the whole podcast today, uh, and then on our Instagram channel, uh, Twitter's uh, Twitter channel, uh, all that good stuff, you get the Big Spur Minute. It's a shorter version of the brief, a little bit different stuff, but really the same topics. Uh, if you want to check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, so check us out on social media. Pretty glad to you know, start to have some regular things uh, on those channels because you know, looking at the podcast numbers and all, not everybody's a member of the Big Spur. Some people don't want to join and uh but they like, you know, me and the, the podcast and, and the free stuff. And so uh, we want to have more uh, in that department. And hopefully you'll decide to subscribe to the Big Spur at some point. But, you know, like like I've talked to a lot of people about, sometimes people, uh, they're just averse to doing it. And, um, and that's fine. That's fine. Because there are some things I won't subscribe to. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's uh, it's all good. We want to we want to serve the entire Gamecock Nation here. Uh, <clears throat> Spencer Rattler, uh, and that's kind of the topic of the brief today and the topic of uh, a lot of different things. Um, you know, you hear things uh, about off-season workouts, and you always got to kind of take them uh, as they come, right? Uh, but the one thing, and Tony Morrell had a great VIP piece up on this. Brad Crawford also, with a free article on our site, alluded to it. 
the word you keep hearing about Spencer Rattler's arm talent. And, you know, this is a good piece of news that, that everybody's impressed with his arm talent. I don't think it's a surprise. I don't think it's shocking <laughs> uh, by any stretch. Uh, but I do think that uh, that's important. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it a little more in the analysis segment. But uh, I think that when you have arm talent and you can deliver the football down the field in an accurate manner, uh, it's so helpful. Especially, you know, not all the time last year, because there were some games where the Gamecocks really, with a little bit better scheme of things, could have uh, done a little bit better, in my opinion. Missouri comes to mind. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where teams that try to try to load the box, especially early on uh, last season against South Carolina, and, and whether it's quarterback, whether it's receivers not getting open, whether it's confusion, uh, a number of different things that that didn't happen. If you remember the Georgia game, though, uh, you know South Carolina goes in that game two and zero. Zeb Nolan got hurt, but early on, you know South Carolina did throw some down the field, uh, and that was the plan. You know, let's let's go deep and back these guys off. And, you know, I think that with Spencer Rattler, South Carolina is going to be in a lot better position to be able to do that. Uh, Rattler's not necessarily a, a, a Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick type of runner, but he is a uh, he's a guy that can move around a little bit, keep his eyes down the field and throw the ball. And that's kind of what Jason Brown did well uh, in the games he quarterbacked in the game Cox won. You know, I don't know that he executed the offenses to, to perfection, um, as some people would want, but I think that that, that was the difference in, in those games, and that allowed the the you know the run game to open up. Um, and so that's that. You know, maybe we'll analyze it in the analysis segment, but that, that's pretty much my analysis. Gamecock basketball won at Georgia, eighty to sixty-eight. Ole Miss tonight. That's a Q two opportunity, another road win opportunity for the Gamecocks. You know, it's getting late, six and seven in the league. You know, Frank Martin had some interesting comments that we're going to kind of break down um, here in the next segment. But uh, Gamecocks are a four-point underdog tonight, three-point underdog tonight. Uh, in Oxford, uh, Rebels are 12-13, and 13, sort of mediocre this year. Uh, did win at LSU, but they're also coming off a loss at Missouri. So they, they've been up and down, uh, probably a little more so than the Gamecocks down-wise. You know, South Carolina, when you look at it, uh, yeah, there was an unfortunate loss uh, at Coastal. That was that was really the ugly loss uh, in the preseason. There wasn't as many, you know, people talk about the Princeton game. Uh, Princeton's pretty doggone good. You know, unfortunately, their net ranking can't rise. It hasn't risen a lot uh, just because I don't think the Ivy League is that good this year. Um, not that it normally is. Western Kentucky's another team that has not been able to uh, – to rise, uh, like I think a lot of people thought, you know, poor UAB lost at Old Dominion on Sunday, and I was like, ah, you know, so Jack, their net ranking down, that was trending towards a Q1 win for South Carolina in the non-conference. Clemson and Florida State are both averages grits in the ACC, you know, so so a lot's working against South Carolina, but at the same time, you know, you go one in seven in Q1 opportunities, which the Gamecocks have according to the latest breakdown on the NCAA's website, you know, you kind of had your chance. Or, or And there's still chances coming up. I mean, LSU, Q1 at home Saturday, you get through Ole Miss, all of a sudden that LSU game becomes pretty big. Uh, at Alabama coming up, I watched Alabama play Arkansas this weekend, and the tide came back – or I'm sorry – Arkansas came back on the tide, and the tide ended up winning a critical one. 
Um, you know, at Missouri later, Mississippi State coming in, their their net ranking's pretty high still. You know, so so some opportunity there for the Gamecocks to at least, I don't know, get in position to make the NIT, uh, which is not an easy thing. I mean, people talk about that all the time uh, when you're talking about Frank Martin. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, and I don't like – I liked the rule when they first came out with it because I was like, oh, yeah, mid-major regular season champs get, get an automatic bid to the NIT. That sounds fair because it didn't sit right with me. A team wins 24, 25 games and wins their conference and they don't get in. But – in my opinion, they need to maybe expand it. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, you know, 32 teams. And then, you know, in, in those small conferences, you usually have six to eight upsets in the tournament every year. Uh, and so that floods the NIT with mid-major teams. And I, I think it's become almost like a mid-major major challenge in a lot of ways. Uh, if you look at that tournament and, you know, whereas during the Dave Odom era, you know, he had three teams that went to the NIT and played for the championship all three times, won two of them. Those teams during the regular season were just barely above 500, and they had losing records in the SEC. Frank Martin's teams uh, have not had that luxury. You know, 17 and 16, the year out of the fi- after the Final Four didn't get in. 16 and 16 was 11 and 7 record, and the SEC didn't get in. Uh, I think pandemic year, 2020, they were pretty much a lock for the NIT, but, you know, that team – Losing to Stetson and at Vanderbilt and, and having some other ugly losses, uh, that team should have been on the bubble when the season was abruptly called. So that's uh, that's sort of the take there. But hey, there's still opportunity. They're still alive, as Pearl Jam says. They're still alive. Uh, there's still things to be done. Seven o'clock p.m. ESPNU tonight. Gamecocks and Rebels. And I uh, mentioned this earlier, Gamecock Baseball gets started Friday, 4 p.m., UNC Greensboro, Founders Park. Maybe we'll try to get Whittle on for a little baseball preview. Maybe not. Who knows? But, uh, you know, it looks this year from, from reading some of the preseason that maybe the pitching's not going to be quite as good or they don't have as many arms as they did last year, but the hitting should be better. I don't know what to think, really. I think this is – this team's picked fifth in the East. You know, that's not really up to standard. I think there's some gross overreaction by the fan base for that. I understand that being picked fifth is um, not up to the standards of this program, but I also understand that <clears throat> preseason predictions are, th- are that. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, where they're picked in terms of evaluating the program. It's, it's where they finish. And South Carolina baseball has always been that way. You know, the standards of this program for baseball are determined by what they do in the postseason. That's why last year was disappointing because you're sitting there, you make a a regional, you host, um, you you beat Virginia the first time out, you lose a game to Old Dominion where you can't hit the ball, then you can't hit the ball again. Virginia ends up winning the regional, and then they come to Columbia to play Dallas Baptist. which pulled an upset on the other side of the bracket, I think TCU. So the, the table was set for South Carolina to make a surprising run to Omaha. They just couldn't have the ball. And, you know, uh, in general, as we move into the analysis segment, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and then get off baseball before I say something that I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I think it's safe to say this. Is Carolina fans are sick of not being able to score <laughs> in sports. 
even the women's basketball program, as good as they are, they miss a ton of layups. And it's just so frustrating to watch. Now, the women's team usually wins. And, and so nobody needs to be complaining about that. But, you know, basketball, ice cold from the floor. Football could not cross the 50 <laughs> against Clemson uh, and had some bad games where they couldn't score, got shut down. It was an embarrassment. And then baseball not being able to hit the ball is, is just maddening. Um, because usually the the idea in college baseball is that if you have pitching, you're pretty good to go. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't meant to be last year. And so we'll see what happens this year. Sometimes, you know, when you're not picked all that high, you may have a surprising run, um, you know, and, and, and it's going to kind of depend on the arms and the pitching game the Gamecocks get and how really – how good – Will the hitting improve, you know, this year? Because you can say it's supposed to improve all you want, but uh, how much better is it going to be? And it will be able to, will they be able to win some, you know, quote unquote high scoring games? All right. Analysis segment as we transition into it is brought to you by Cindy Sear Foss, Colwell Banker Kane Real Estate. Cindy's married to a diehard Gamecock fan, saw some uh, pictures of her and, and her husband uh, celebrating Valentine's Day on Facebook Day. Great couple there. She's been in the upstate over 35 years and would love to help you with your real estate needs. Real estate market's nuts right now. You can contact her at 864-414-5271 or email her ccearfoss at cbcane.com, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane, dot com. She's right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue, Spartanburg County, Greenville County, Union County, Cherokee, wherever you need Cindy, she will be there in the upstate. Again, Cindy Searfoss. Colwall Banker Kane, proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecast podcast. If you do hit Cindy up, please tell her that you heard about her right here on this podcast. That helps me. It helps her. It helps the Gamecock Nation and uh, everyone involved. All right, so analysis and a lot to get to today. I mentioned Rattler earlier. That's really about all I have to say on it. Uh, I will add having a guy like Antoine Wells enter the program. Uh, hopefully there's continued improvement from Amari and Brown. Uh, hopefully Josh Van does not take a step back. I don't think he will. I, I think at the end of last season, Josh was struggling a little bit with his hamstring. And so, uh, you know, that that is kind of what it is. You got Austin Stodner coming in at tight end. Jaheim Bell is back. You know, it, it, the backs are all back. You have a bunch of returning offensive linemen. You know, there's really no reason why this offense can't take a step forward uh, next year. And, and I, I, I don't – I'm not a big, like, let's blame it all on the quarterback situation last year. I understand that's the narrative coming out of the program. People keep repeating it. I get it. Uh, I don't think that it's completely invalid. But but I also think this, I, I think it's still not only on them. You, you know, when you have a, an offensive line that had that many people coming, you know, that many snaps coming back, you have backs like Kevin Harris and Lloyd and Juju and – Zaquandre White, should have mentioned White first. He was the best one. By the way, congrats to him for being invited to the NFL Combine. I have no idea why Jalen Foster wasn't invited, but that's fine. Um, you know, when you, when you have those players, you, you do expect to be able to run the ball a little better, uh, especially against some of the the teams on the schedule where you, know, you should have been able to kind of move it at will, and you didn't. Uh, all that kind of changed. Though. I mean, look, the A&M game was kind of like, all right, let's sound the alarms and regroup a little bit. And, you know, they Jason Brown came in, led two touchdown drives. That momentum carried over. 
to Florida, Missouri was a uh, Clemson was an uh, and then they ended it pretty well. But you know, they, there were no iffy teams on the schedule. Uh, maybe North Carolina's defense. Uh, I mean, statistically, Missouri's defense. You could you could make that point, obviously. Uh, but you know, tr- struggling against your Troys and Vandys in East Carolina's early, well, that wasn't good. Um, so I don't want to blame it all on the quarterbacks. Um, and I'll just say this about that: that's a valid reason, but it's not the only reason. And I'll leave it at that for now because people are hopeful and you see some of the pieces they're getting in place and, you know, some of the excuses or, you know, and I don't, I, excuse sounds like, ah, oh, you're making excuses. I'm going to say some of the, the reasons uh, will be taken off the table and, and we'll see what can happen. I think, you know, after watching, you know, what I think is probably the best NFL postseason in my lifetime, uh, you know, and some of those offenses, creativity and all that and how they operate, you know, I think that maybe I'm a little guilty of watching that and going, hey, you know, Rattler and, you know, kind of getting excited about the pro-style offense. But, you know, it's not necessarily the plays that are run. It's it's sort of how you coach them and can the players run them and and know them uh, and get things right. Um, And a veteran quarterback like Rattler probably could could help in that regard, getting everybody on the same page uh, and running plays. Uh, All right, Frank Martin – uh sports talk i guess maybe it was i don't know if this interview was on sports talk or if it was um maybe at a press conference but uh want to um want to kind of go over this and then this is from a tweet and you know martin had said maybe this is uh there's still time for postseason you know, I'm scrolling through their Twitter account right now. Um, okay, so yeah, here we go. This is a this is a this is a press conference. He said, "Eliminate his first two seasons, the COVID season and the year the tournament was canceled, and they've had success. It's complicated as to why it's been hard historically to sustain success at South Carolina." Um, and immediately, everybody flies off the handle. One out of ten. And look, I'm I'm saying this. I'm going to be pretty clear. Uh, I think that when you talk about a, a decade at a school, um, in progress is not necessarily being made uh, either way. You know, it's time for a new challenge. I mean, fans. You know, and it's not just Frank Martin. It's any coach. You know, you get sick of a coach that he gets sick of being there. Whatever. Uh, ten years is ten years, and. Um, you know, so I'm I'm not one of these like you're not going to do any better than Frank and blah, 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 you know I, I'm not that kind of guy, <laughs> uh, but I'm also not like a Frank Martin is a terrible coach kind of guy because that's not fair either and that's not accurate. Uh, I agree and I, I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying. I, I'm going to say this: the first two seasons should not be counted. I mean. Those were years where he, he kind of inherited a dumpster fire. He inherited a program that could not make the right moves when they needed to make it. They kept Dave Odom two years too long. They hired Darren Horn. That was just a hire that did not work out. Um, and at the same time, as I've mentioned many times, other sports on campus were rising. Don Staley was getting it going. Baseball's winning national titles. Football was winning 11 games. I mean, Men's basketball just kind of like six years there, where it's just like, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, not a very exciting brand of basketball. Not a whole lot of buzz around the program. Well, 
you know, then you start looking at it, 17 and 16, 25 and 9, then the final four year. Go back to 17 and 16, 16 and 16, 18 and 13, you know, and then the COVID year, and then this year. I, I'm not discounting, and, and I see where Frank Martin's coming from, I, you know, about the 18 and 13 year where they canceled the tournament. Because you just you don't know. South Carolina was on the wrong side of the bubble, uh, and that was their own fault that year. Um, you lose to Stetson at home. Uh, you you lose a game against a bad Vanderbilt team on the road at the end of the year when you need it. Um, you, you know, that was just a situation where, uh, you know, they, they did it to themselves that season. <laughs> uh, Northern Iowa, early in the year, they lost a two-point game. That would have been a Q1 win uh, at the time. You know, so so those three games, you know, one of them could have gone either way. The other two, Carolina, just didn't show up. And you're sitting at 21 and 10 on the right side of the bubble. And had that happened, I think this is a different conversation for Frank Martin. Because, uh, you know, if for all intents and purposes, even if they're one and done in Nashville that year, if they're on the right side of the bubble, they're probably getting in. But as it stood, they were not. And so – they would have had to have won two or three games in the tournament, maybe get to Sunday to win it. Now, not saying they couldn't have, uh, and you can't sit there and say either way. But I think people would feel better had that year turned out as it was, quite frankly, supposed to. You know, there, there, there was no reason to lose to Stetson, uh, no reason to lose to Vandy at the end with the season on the line. You know, that that's just uh, – they lost a home game to LSU, too that uh, an LSU is really good. Don't get me wrong, but that was a missed opportunity. Uh, so that team had a lot of missed opportunities. And so I'm counting that one, you know, pandemic uh, ends the season early or not. I think that has to count. Now, last year, six and 15 was bad, but with all the starts and stops and, and you know, just, it just, it wasn't, it, I don't, you know, people can say, well, he didn't handle it very well. Well, you know, a lot of teams didn't. Roy Williams didn't. Coach K didn't. John Calipari didn't. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be a whataboutism here, but I'm just saying that I'm. I'm willing to take that out of consideration, just like the first two years, even though uh, it looked like a change is going to be made after last year. So uh, you still look at it though, and you still look at the program, and it's stuck. Even though, you know, this program, especially since they joined the SEC, you know, they will flat out throw a losing record up there on you <laughs> uh, over the years. I mean, I think about Dave Odom's second team, and they did have some injuries. It was the first year of the CLA. I mean, they had 12 and 16 after going to the NIT finals. The next year they're in the NCAA tournament, and then back to the NIT or whatever. Uh, Horn never had a winning season after his first year. Uh, Eddie Fogler went eight and twenty-one after back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. So, has this program, you know, taking last year out, which I'm going to do, I don't really care if anybody likes it or doesn't. Uh, has this program gone into the abyss? No, that's not factual. Those of you that are out there saying that, you're wrong. You know, you're just not accurate in saying. This program is awful. Now, is it stale? Is it stuck? Does change need to happen? Is there no excitement? Yeah, those are all fair things to say. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize anybody that, that thinks there needs to be a change. Uh, but, but this program is not, you know, awful. 
right now. It, it, it's kind of the same old season, you know, ever since the final four, with the exception of last year, which was a disaster across the board, the, the, this program has been stuck right there, three or four wins more when they're going to the postseason. And it ends up, you know, no people are building statues of Frank Martin outside the arena. But that's kind of how close it's been. But, you know, you, you look and all these seasons, uh, you know, are sort of the same. Now, can they get on a run and completely change the narrative the next three or four weeks? Yeah, of course. Um, I think Keyshawn Bryant needs to keep playing like he's playing and some other guys need to step up. And it would be very, very helpful if Eric Stevenson finally goes and, uh, you know, how he's a streaky shooter, uh, he and Reese both, if they get hot, that would be helpful. If uh, Levesque and, and the bigs play, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of ifs starting tonight. Uh, that would be helpful. And, and, you know, you can't sit there and say honestly that, that that's going to happen. But, um, and excuse Red for, I don't know why he likes to, he's like in a marching band when I'm recording this podcast. He's like, I'm just, I'm just dad, I'm just going to walk across the hardwood floor and march back and forth in formation. And he loves to do that. He knows my mic picks it up too, I think. So anyway, I apologize for that. But um, nevertheless, you know, that, that's my take on is that, you know, yeah, the, his, but compared to the history of this program in the SEC in particular, Martin's doing really well. You know, it, 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 the standard, but the, the standards have been raised. But let's be honest here. When you go to a Final Four, that, that changes the game. You know, that, that, and look, I don't think Carolina basketball fans or fans in general were as great as the Final Four was. I don't think they were expecting to make the Final Four every year. Um, more NCAA tournaments in the five years since, yes. Uh, more postseason in the five years since, yes. Absolutely. So that's kind of the, the deal there uh, with basketball. And again, 7 p.m. ESPNU, Gamecocks and Ole Miss tonight from the Pavilion. Those guys have an, a relatively new arena out there in Oxford, and you know that that's it's kind of funny. You know, people keep talking about how to fix Carolina basketball or whatever, and you know, new arena comes up. <laughs> hey, and I'm, I'm I'm on the new arena bandwagon too. I think you know the South Carolina does not do itself any favors uh, with some of the way the basketball program's set up, and I don't want to hear about the women. Uh, because that's a different fan base. That's a different ticket seating situation. That's completely different. Well, the women, well, yeah, you know, uh, if if there were tickets for however cheap and, you know, <laughs> all that, I think, you know, that, that Carolina's basketball, men's basketball team would have, you know, some good lower bowl crowds like they do for the women's game. And that's nothing against that program. You know, nothing against Dawn Staley and uh, that program is outstanding. And um, it's second to none, really. But uh, that's not a valid comparison when you say, well, look at the women uh, in this, as it relates to the CLA. Um, all right. So there was an article in The Athletic today. And uh, it, I don't think, I don't know if anybody has read it yet. It's by Dave Ubin, a good writer up there based in Knoxville. And so he, this is about NIL. And so he goes through and interviews. Uh, you know, there's these collectives. Garnet Trust is one at South Carolina now. There could be another that pops up or another uh, all over the country. They interviewed the Tennessee guys that have this collective. These dudes are pretty brazen w- with what they're saying about recruits and giving them cars and apartments and, and all this stuff. And 
I don't know. I mean, I guess that's legal now. I, I don't know. I was under the impression, though, that it could not touch recruiting. Uh, and you're out there talking to the media about how a recruiting class is going to cost this much money. Uh, Ten million was the was the dollar amount, right? And I'm like, well, you raise ten million dollars, and you put that in print. I guess you could sit there and and recruit with it, right? You know, is this going to happen? Um, so I don't know. It made me feel very uncomfortable because I I was under the impression that even with the different state laws governing all this, that you couldn't necessarily sit there and say, you know, we're going to pay this much for a recruiting class. Uh, I think that's a little brazen, right? Uh, and you heard all the talk about A&M doing that this year, and Jimbo Fisher shot that down. So I don't know. I, I, I think that this is getting wild. And, of course, the, the national media is going to take that article and go, well, here's what's happening in that thing. Yeah, look, man. <laughs> Uh, I've looked at Tennessee's class this year. I don't think it's worth, I don't think it's $10 million class. (laughs) You know, I just don't know, you know, Uh, just because of the nature of football. Um, And I know that's going to alarm some Gamecock fans because they're, how you, you know, how does a school like South Carolina spend uh, against that? And and Tennessee is a, uh, a program that's in a larger state. They're the program in that larger state. Now, we don't think of Tennessee like we think of Georgia or LSU or Ohio State or, or any of those places that are situated in, in bigger states that have a lot of football talent because the state of Tennessee, while better than it used to be, historically doesn't put out as much talent. But it's still, I think, a state of 6.5 million people plus. Uh, the Vols get 100 and something thousand a game. And I mean, there's my point of all this is there's more Tennessee fans than South Carolina fans. And that's just a fact. Just like, uh, I always tell the story that when Texas played Alabama in 09 for the national title, Saban's first, uh, Mike Morgan and I were doing a radio show in Columbia, uh, the box, and we had Alabama's basketball play-by-play guy on, uh, and, and it was the Rose Bowl, you know, and Alabama had not played for a title since 1992. You're talking about Alabama football, huge brand, lots of fans. Ask, ask Auburn fans how many Bama fans there are in Alabama. Um, it's not a, an even thing. Uh, and he said, even with all that, he said, talking to the Rose Bowl people out there that year, it was six to one Longhorns in terms of travel packages, hotel packages, ticket requests, you name it. Six to one, Texas and, and this Alabama football, you know? So, so there's some schools that just have more fans than others. That, that's, that's the bottom line. Tennessee has more fans than South Carolina. So obviously you, you start to worry about it a little bit. Well, hey, how, you know, is the Garnet Trust going to raise $10 million? Is, is some new collective going to raise that much? You know, how, is this the going rate? Um, and you look at it and like, I, I just don't, maybe I'm naive and uh, feel free to tell me I am. Uh, maybe I'm whistling past the graveyard a little bit. Maybe, maybe you know, in some ways, I, I feel like while student athletes deserve NIL money, I, I think that recruits do not based on high school, you know. Uh, I've said it many times. It's like uh, writing a seven-figure check to the guy that's voted most likely to succeed. That's how much high school means, Okay in the grand scheme of things with football, especially, I mean, how many guys are there that can go straight from high school to uh, starting in college? Very few, maybe 3%, 
out of those who could go right to the NFL, one maybe one, two guys every two years could go play in the NFL. So, so the value there, I mean, you, you know, it's not supposed to be pay for play. And you got these guys running this Tennessee collective talking about it like it definitely is pay for play. I don't know. You know, that to me, that that's not the spirit of the rule. To me, it's better to get a robust NIL situation for your current players so you can show recruits, hey, if you come here, here's what you're going to get. You know, we can probably, you know, make a deal, you know, as soon as you get on campus and and, and do whatever. But, uh, I, you know, $10 million for a recruiting class, talking about apartments and cars and all this. I mean, to me, that's just – I don't know. That, 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 that kind of – set some alarms off with me, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't know if people are just blowing hot air, you know, Tennessee's the very frustrated fan base, you know, as far as winning and, you know, they were used to back in the former era getting just about any recruit they wanted. And uh, now that doesn't happen anymore. So may, maybe it's just that fan base. Maybe the laws in Tennessee are different than South Carolina. Uh, but anyway, I, I think South Carolina, how the money is going to come, for this NIL thing, for the collective, uh, I think it's small dollars, people getting involved with Garnet Trust, getting involved with whatever comes down that's new, that's similar. And then there's, you know, multiple collectives uh, funneling NIL opportunities to student athletes, and then you go from there. I, you know, South Carolina, I don't think, has really been hurt uh, by NIL so far. In fact, I think it's helped. I mean, you look at you know, Marshawn Lloyd just launched his own brand uh, of clothing, and I'm sure his sold. Uh, I think the the BigSpur.com VIP members bought Spencer Rattler's shop out before Christmas, and then he's got a new line out there. I mean, that's money. Those are all NIL opportunities, you know. Uh, and, and I think, you know, DeCarrie and Joyner, look at what he's done since the mayonnaise bowl. And so I, I think those opportunities are probably going to be in abundance. Uh, I, I think that – where it gets stupid, in my opinion, is uh, putting a dollar figure amount on a recruiting class. I think that's stupid. Uh, I, I think that's number one. That it, it's 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 nothing but you know people bragging about you know what they can go buy. Uh, number two, I don't know that that means you're going to get the best players. <laughs> uh, you know, and number three, if you hand those players a bunch of money when they walk in, how, or how hard are they going to work to get better? You know, Tennessee should know that because they've had top five classes that have completely busted out, due in large part to a lot of guys not working under Butch Jones. And, and so I, I just don't know when you look at it uh, from that standpoint, you know, that uh, I, I just don't know how that's going to work and benefit. You know, for South Carolina, though, I, I understand fan base is going to get a little freaked out about it. Uh, and uh, worried, and, and obviously that the minute Tennessee or somebody else comes into the state of South Carolina and gets a great player because of an NIL situation, that's really going to set off some alarm bells, uh, both at South Carolina and in the upstate. Um, but I think the idea with the game cognition is, is that nah, there's not oil money or anything like that, but there is a large number of fans and that are willing to give you the shirt off their bat. If they're willing to buy a t-shirt, they're willing to chip in however they can. So I've compared it before to politics. I think that, you know, what South Carolina is going to do is a lot like Bernie Sanders. 
I'm not a Bernie Sanders guy. Don't, don't, don't send me any emails about that or whatever. If you are a Bernie Sanders guy, great. You know what I'm talking about. Or, you know, any, any politician or political campaign that raises small dollar amounts knows that that can add up in your quote unquote war chest. And so I think that's where South Carolina's NIL opportunities are going to come from. Uh, and, and, you know, then you go from there. But I, I thought it was very unfortunate. That there was an article written uh, interviewing one collective or two collectives from one school and going on and on about how much they're going to budget for a recruiting class. Uh, and I'm like, well, how do you, you know, you're not supposed to be recruiting with this. You know, you, you, that money needs to go to your players that are there putting in the work. That's the idea. You know, how are we going to assign value? And, and look, I think one of two things is going to happen. Little Birdie told me that there could be an, could be a, a deal where the, the um, collectives go away, where the, there's a law or something that gets enacted. I can't really do that. Um, that could happen. I also think that, you know, even though there's going to be a lot of disappointment as certain schools take certain recruits, from certain other schools because of this stuff. Uh, I think that there's a chance that you look down the road and you're like, well, Texas A&M still going seven and five. What happened to all that money, you know, and people are going to wisen up a little bit, but you know, it may be that we're in an era where, you know, the money doesn't really matter and these kids still get to school and, and, and work hard and end up reaching their full potential and, and all that. I mean, I just, just think it's human nature. You know, high school, college kid, you hand him seven figures. You know, look, man, I'll be honest. You had me seven figures in college. I'm not going to class or I'm scheduling all night classes. I mean, look, it's just not, you know, and that's just the mindset when you're that age. There's very few people – that when you hand them those that sort of those sort of resources, that that don't kind of slack off, and so then what's going to happen? Because school Z is going to pay a five star, four star, high four star guy X dollars. He's not going to work. So then your guy that's a lower four star, three star, whatever, he's going to outwork him. <laughs> and then who's going to have the better team? You know, yeah, sure, there's raw talent. But, uh, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, all the teams in the playoff era that have done well. Last time I checked, th those were the best player development schools in the country, Clemson included. So, you know, that's the last time I checked. You know, it was the, the yes, they recruit really well. But, you know, that defense at Georgia this year, that, you know, had a bunch of older guys that they had to develop. You know, Channing Tindall. Uh, he's a player, obviously, all of you have followed. Look at how much better he got. You know, so, so you have to have that in football. And I'm, I, I wanted to get out in front of this because I know a lot of you are going to panic. We're going to hear about how blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody's going <laughs> to start paying for players. How's a little old South Carolina going to stack up? And, you know, trust me, I think the Gamecocks, uh, one way or the other, will be fine. We'll just have to wait and see how it all – and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're sitting here in a couple of years going, ah, gosh – you know, you just can't get around the talent. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, knowing a little something re realistically and, and, and living in reality about this game and how players develop and haven't done it for a long time, I've tracked this stuff. I would have loved nothing more than for the star ratings when I was doing national recruiting to be 100% accurate. That makes me look like a genius. 
Yeah, it's probably about 55. And I was damn proud of that because it's hard. <laughs> and, and so then you get into the situation, well, if you're, if you're going to pay for a recruiting class, who do you pay? Do you just go by the star ratings? Great. <laughs> because we know that 40% of the time these guys aren't going to pan out. And then you hand them money, ooh, that's even, even more dangerous. But anyway, that's my take on all that. So, uh Again, don't panic if you read that article if you're a Gamecock fan. Uh, Gamecocks, according to 24-7 Sports, have the you know fourth best portal work in the league. I, I don't really understand why A&M, who brought in one guy, Max Johnson, who's probably not even going to start, uh, is third, but he is. Ole Miss, I guess. I don't know. They got in you know, Jackson Dart or whatever. Now, Alabama, um, Jameer Gibbs, Eli Ricks, and Jermaine Burton. That's pretty good. I mean, that's that's a three-person class. I like the I like where the game kind of stand. I also like how what Arkansas did in the portal. Um, you know, Mississippi State lost 19 guys. That's gonna be tough for them. I like what Kentucky did in the portal, I'll be honest. Um, uh, they lost Wondell Robinson, but they got Javon Baker from Bama, who's good, and Tavian Robinson from Virginia Tech. That's and then Will Levis is back. They're going to be a beast yet again. Uh, and then it's kind of funny. Georgia's ranked way behind everybody else, right? You know, because they have no incoming players from the portal, and they rank them incomplete instead of putting a fourteen on them. Mm, I don't know, man. I think you just got to rank them there. <laughs> Why are we giving Georgia the benefit of the doubt when we're when we've got a, a program up here that's only got one guy that might not even start coming in, and and you know because of the rankings or whatever you're you're, you're putting them third. I mean I don't I don't know about that, but uh, that's on twenty four seven sports. If you would like to read that, all right, time for the mailbag. We love the mailbag. The I Help Consulting mailbag is amazing. And uh, we appreciate Daniel Owens of I Help Consulting, as always, for sponsoring it. And if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where I Help Consulting can help. I Help is a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. And whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else, I Help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, don't pay them anything. That's right. You owe them nothing if they get it out there on the spreadsheet and they're looking and, ah, you're saving enough. All right, good. So call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? Uh, also, Daniel uh, and I help. They're a sponsor of my weekly segment on JB and Goldwater, which will be tomorrow. And certainly looking forward to getting back home with JB and Darren and mixing it up as I always do each and every week. That's a lot of fun. By the way, download the JB and Goldwater app if you're a fan of that show. Uh, it's a new app. They you get rid of the old one, put the new one on there. You got uh, push notifications. Uh, everything's much cleaner and easier to access. Uh, so you got your iPhone. Uh, and I think they have a, an Android version coming out soon. Got your iPhone in your car, you can just plug that right up, rock and roll with the app, and uh, listen to all the JB and Goldwater uh, that you would like. All right, so there's two ways to get into the IO Consulting Mailbag. First of all, 
Follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter and tweet at us. That's the first way you could do it. Also, uh, follow Inside the Game Pass on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to the Big Spur YouTube page, all that good stuff, uh, social media-wise, uh, to get content. So it's going to be kind of fun uh, if you do that. So here we go. The Upstate Gamecock says, speaking of former Gamecocks on staff, what a gut punch to see Bryson Allen Williams go on staff at UNC. I thought he was a tough and gritty player. Seems like he'd be the right fit for the staff at South Carolina. Any word on if they even talked to him about coming home? Um, well, there hadn't been an opening. Uh, I, I think that through uh, Charlton Warren, who was at Georgia and who knows the family, uh, that's kind of how – because he went back to UNC uh, to work for Mac Brown, Gene Chizik. I, I think that's kind of what uh, what the deal is there. Uh, look, I, 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 I said the other day, there's a lot of Gamecocks that are in coaching right now, a lot. Uh, and what I would not like <laughs> to have happen is every time one of them gets another job someplace else, people are like, why didn't he come here? Uh, I think that's not a way to, you know, support a program. And and there's a lot that goes in to, to different staff hires and positions and, and things of that nature. And Shane Beamer just hired Devontae Holloman. Um, and so I, you know, I, I don't necessarily uh, see a, the big deal with Bryson Allen Williams going coaching at North Carolina uh, in an off-the-field role because that's a step up for him in his career. Uh, it's good to work different places. Uh, it's good to get out and spread your wings. And you know, He's at Georgia State, part of that successful program for a while. Now he's at UNC. Um, I, I don't see a big de- deal with it, you know, uh, just like I didn't see a big deal, Byron Gerardo and Shaq Wilson were at Tennessee for a couple of years. Both those guys came back, right? Uh, and so I, you know, I agree with you, uh, Upstate Gamecock. He, he would be the, a, a right fit for the staff and all that good stuff. But it's just, you know, there's only so many positions, so many people you can have. Um, and, and and these guys are out there in the coaching industry right now, and, and they've got to they've got to take what they can when they can. You know, Bryson Allen Williams isn't going to sit around at Georgia State, nothing against Georgia State. Sean Elliott has done a great job down there uh, and, and turned down an opportunity at a Power 5 school just because, oh, I'm waiting to go back to South Carolina. Now, would he come back? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I think the best thing here is just to not take it as a gut punch, but look at it from the standpoint of, hey, like I said in the podcast last week, there's a lot of guys former Gamecocks that are out there in coaching that are doing well. And that hadn't always been the case with this program, you know, and I think that's a a really big positive, you know, because you have your guys out there coaching and stuff. And and I think a lot of times it's better to, you know, hire somebody that's uh, got familiarity with a a place that's unique like South Carolina, but you know, you need to hire the best you can too. So that's it. Thanks upstate Gamecocks. Certainly appreciate you. Uh, Ad Engel, this is a good deal here. This is a good question. Thank you. And he's on Twitter as well, tweeting to at the Big Spur Pod. JC, lots of talk in the football sphere about a sphere, sphere, sphere about alignment between potential coaches and administrators. What are your thoughts on the alignment with our administration and Frank and any potential potential new coach? Thanks and enjoy the podcast. 
Um, in basketball, I think it could be better. Uh, and, and let's just being honest, you know, I, I, and people can point to specific things like, why did they celebrate the final four against like, I guess it was Western Michigan on a Tuesday night when nobody's showing up anyway. Uh, and that's, that's easy to sit there and continue to pile on Ray Tanner and everybody else about it. Um, I think there are bigger issues. I think the CLA situation that I mentioned early is one, I, I think just in general, uh, men's basketball gets lost because the other – like football is always going to be the number one. And I say this because I look at, like, the, the traffic numbers on Big Spur and other places with the different sports, and, you know, football is by far and away number one. There's more – you know, you look at the crowd. I mean, there's Gamecock football fans all over, you know. Uh, I think baseball is always going to have a, a place at South Carolina that's a little bigger than other schools. You know, South Carolina is a lot like an LSU or Mississippi State or Arkansas where, where baseball is huge, you know, at that specific school. Uh, I think with women's basketball, you know, you'd be dumb not to love that, you know, because that's a very nationally relevant program that goes to Final Fours and wins national championships and, and has some of the best women's basketball talent in the country, coached by an Olympian uh, and, and, and who essentially is the Michael Jordan of women's basketball. You know, and 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 who's not only a, a tremendous basketball coach, but but someone who's a, who's a leader in her space, uh, respect, leadership, all that good stuff. So, you know, you, you have to pay attention to that and promote that. If you if you're the university, you'd get in trouble if you didn't. Um, and so, where is men's basketball? It, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and and unlike football, where you have thousands of people from all over the state coming every weekend because it's the weekend and all that. Basketball is not like that. You know, basketball largely relies on Columbia area. There are people that drive in, don't get me wrong, uh, but there are a lot more games and, and things like that. So, so when you come about the Columbia entertainment dollar and time and, and all that good stuff, uh, it does get lost. But I, I think that as far as the alignment goes, it, it's just – it's not, I don't think it's Ray Tanner necessarily or Frank Martin or uh, the board of trustees or whatever. Um, I think it's all of the above, uh, to be honest. I, I think with this program and you saw it last year with the change, no change, uh, people need to get on the same page. I think that the, the board of trustees at South Carolina in general, people always talk about football and, and you know, the, the, they lose a football game, you, you throw the board of trustees under the bus. I, I think some of that criticism, a lot of that criticism is very unfair because the board of trustees has given football anything it wanted, anything it needed 50 million for, okay. You know, 22 million to redo the stadium. Great. Do this, that, and the other. Now, do I think the board of trustees uh, would be better served to split off an athletics committee and give that athletics committee autonomy uh, and run athletics separate from the rest of the university? Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, legally, there may not be a way to do it. I mean, you may still have to answer to somebody, but I, I don't think the Board of Trustees and, and the politics and all that that, that, that infiltrated men's basketball at the end of last year, uh, you know, should be the case. And that, that has nothing to do with Frank coming back or not last year. Because I, I, I saw I saw the point, you know, hey, look, you know, you're going to fire this guy after COVID and he took you to the Final Four or whatever. Um the problem I had with it was how it went down. A decision had been made 
But instead of backing up your leadership, you're going to use politics to overrule him and threaten the medical school. I mean, how can you threaten the medical school if, you, if you're a politician and you pretend to care about your constituents? A medical school, not only, you know, we talk so much these days about public health. A medical school not, not only helps the university, it helps the community at large. You're doing research. Your, 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 your goal with a medical school is to train doctors and to serve the community and the state that you're in uh, in the name of public health. So, all right. You know, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's wrong. That's wrong to do if you're a politician, in my opinion. Um, but as far as the alignment goes, it needs to be better. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, and I think it's coming down the road, but I would have liked to have seen, you know, with, with the success Frank Martin had after the Final Four. And then, you know, look, South Carolina basketball prior to Dawn Staley getting there, women's and men's, you know, you're sitting there in March of 2017, your women's team's in the Final Four, your men's team's in the Final Four, your women's team won it all. That, to me, would have been the time to kind of, uh, and, you know, look, they were building a $50 million football facility at this time. But that would have been the time to get a long-term plan together and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to make, you know, Gamecock basketball sustainable. Um, and, and Dawn's done it through recruiting because she's Dawn Staley. And when you think about the fan support she gets for a women's program, it's the best in the country. You know, Frank Martin, not so much. And uh, people – you know, does Frank Martin's style of coaching have something to do with the inability to attract players? I think a little bit, yeah. But I also think there's some things that work against him on the AAU circuit in South Carolina that are unfair uh, that I won't get into right now. I also think that when you watch the Gamecocks on TV and there's a bunch of empty seats and it looks like nobody cares, uh, and, and having gone through uh, recruiting – uh, in the 20, football recruiting in the 2017 cycle, 2017, maybe it's 2018. I don't know. Uh, whatever one Xavier Thomas was in, right? And, you know, there's a lot to that story, right? The Xavier Thomas story. But one thing nobody realized and nobody thought about was that kid came to every home game that year at Williams Bryce. And let's just say the attendance wasn't all that great outside of the Tennessee game. And then, now, look, there weren't a lot of night games and things like that. Meanwhile, up the road, Clemson's marching towards its first national title since 81, and it was packed. Now, look, you can say, well, J.C., it's a 6-16 and versus a team winning a national championship, and if Clemson was 6-6, six and six, they're, they're, yeah, and I agree, that's all fair. But my point of all that is that mattered to Xavier Thomas, you know, and, and then you, you only have a short window as a, as a program, no matter what sport you're in, to make an impression. And one thing that can, can, can kill you is that you show up to play and nobody nobody wants to see play. I mean, that, that's a that's human nature, fact of life. Now, you know, there's a lot that goes into attendance these days, including TV and all that. We've talked about that over and over. But, uh, you know, that there has to be something that you can do administratively to say, all right, enough's enough. You know, we're, we're tired of, you know, turning on the television. And, and there's, for all intents and purposes, there's 12,000 people in the stands at a basketball game. That's a great crowd. You know, nobody's getting that many numbers wise. It's not you guys, the fans that aren't showing up. It's how the dang thing's uh, configured. 
you know, you, you know, when I saw shoot, who was it? It was one of the national basketball guys, uh, Andy Katz, maybe, I don't know. Uh, when, when Columbia hosted the regionals a few years ago, you know, that was set up for basketball. You know, you gave, who was it? Uh, Virginia had a block. Duke had a block of tickets, you know, Gardner Webb, whatever other schools were there. And, and they were all in the lower bowl. And, and you looked at it, and I think it was Cats. I'm, I'm not 100% positive, though. Maybe Jeff, I don't know. But they said, look, this South Carolina basketball arena is great. It's a great venue for basketball here in Columbia. I just didn't realize it. And, and you wouldn't realize it if you were watching on TV or going to a game where, you know, your diehards are all in the upper deck, you know. And, and I don't know, you know, it, it's a slippery slope. How do you change it? You know, I, I, I don't know. They just shouldn't, you know. <laughs> Uh, years from now, just say, all right, and we're going to build a new arena down the road and, you know, get this going. Or, you know, that probably a lot easier than, you know, reseeding it or whatever. But there, there has to be some things. So when you talk about alignment, you know, I always – and I think Ray Tanner, uh, as an athletic director, has done a good job of this, uh, maybe with the exception of men's basketball, but, but I don't know that, you know, necessarily it's all on him. Uh, let's just – take Tanner out of it because I know it's polarizing and let's just say administration, meaning president, board of trustees, athletic director, whatever. Uh, I think one good thing that's happened at South Carolina recently is the administration's willing to do whatever they need to do uh, to compete in this league with the exception of men's basketball. You know, and, and, and so who knows, <laughs> uh, who knows, uh, you know, when that will change, uh, I'll say this about the men's basketball program in general, uh, as I wrap this point up about alignment, it's never been aligned uh, since McGuire. I mean, you know, you had a situation where, you know, everybody thought, well, you know, McGuire's gone now. And look, they hired Bill Foster from Duke, Bill Foster taking Duke to the final four. Unfortunately, they replaced him with Mike Krzyzewski, who had two losing seasons before he got it going. That's another reason why I just don't really, you know, your first two years someplace are tough. Uh, you know, I, I get it. You take Duke's coach away to come coach an independent, great. But that was a disaster. Then you, then Bobby Crimmins is at Georgia Tech at the time. You can't get Bobby Crimmins now all of a sudden. So you get George Felton, and he, he got fired, and then that that was a dumpster fire of a coaching search two years later, you're back, you get Crimmins, then you don't. And then Fogler. Come. And it's just one thing after another with this program. And there's been times when, you know, I think twice Fogler's two good teams back to back. And then after Frank went to the final four this past year, where people thought, Hey, well, it's, it's Carolina basketball's back, you know, and it just hadn't been back. And, and that's the thing. And, and I think a lot of times, when a program is inconsistent and when a program has had moments of brilliance, but mostly mediocrity uh, to poor play, you can dig in and find uh, some sort of alignment issue. In other words, is, is it alignment with the administration and the staff? Is it alignment with uh, your recruiting pool and, and AAU coaches? And, and how do you fix that? Cause there's been about four coaches that haven't been able to figure that out. One thing after another, is it, is it your, game day experience, you know, what is it? What is it? And, um, and that's why, you know, apathy is sort of set in because I, I don't think there's a lot of easy answers. Uh, like I said earlier about 
you know, anytime a coach has been someplace 10 years and things are just kind of stuck in purgatory, you know, there's probably going to be a change. Uh, now, will that get the Gamecocks the extra five or six wins a year they need to, to break through, or will it not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to all that. Uh, but, yeah, that's a very good point about um, alignment. Very good right there. And Derek says, dead on take about Crean, not a good coach, and quite the spaz on the sidelines. Drives me nuts watching him pace back and forth screaming at his guys to run, dribble, pass, shoot, dribble. Like, you don't think they didn't know how to do that. Yeah, that's where Darren Horn learned his style from. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Darren Horn's doing at Northern Kentucky. I think he's actually winning. So, congrats to, to Darren Horn uh, for uh, – what he's done. Let me just double check that so I don't sound like an idiot. No, the Norse. I didn't know their, their names are the Norse. Yeah, Darren Horn in Kentucky. He's 48 and 29 as the head coach there at Northern Kentucky. Uh, they made the NCAA tournament. Well, they're in the horizon. They were going to make the NCAA tournament when it was canceled. <laughs> 11 and 7 in the league last year, 7 and 4 this year. Not bad. Not bad. Certainly a better record than he had at Carolina. Uh, but I think that's the level he needs to be on. But that, man, the Crean Horn thing. I, and look, I'm actually kind of halfway surprised that Georgia with Crean has not worked out. Now, Indiana didn't really work out, but it was one of those where it wasn't good enough for Indiana, not necessarily for a coach. But uh, Georgia's really bad. I mean, you know, as we saw this past weekend, whatever he's trying to do is not working. It does not work. And, you know, that's a – you ever want to get dog fans that, that care about all their sports talking? Talk to them about why they're not that good in men's basketball. They don't know. Nobody knows. So it's crazy. All right, the other way you get into the inbox – or the mail – sorry, the mailbag. The inbox, the mailbag. The I Help Consulting mailbag. How can I help you? Uh, is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Seth, what is the benefit of the school like IMG, academic sports, especially for a kid that's a senior with offers or committed like Xavier Thomas? Why are parents and kids choosing IMG over their local high school? Well, it's tough. I'm not a fan of the IMGs of the world, you know. Now, now look, Eric Kimry just got a job at the Baylor School in Chattanooga leading that team. I think that's a little bit different. I mean, IMG, you know, from what I've seen, there's different reasons different kids go. And and some of them get put there by, like like in Clemson's case, with Xavier, I, I think Clemson encouraged him to go because they wanted to get him out of Florence. There's a lot of Gamecocks in Florence, you know, a lot of influence over there. <laughs> uh, so why not send him to Bradenton where, you know, you've got friends and things like that. Um. I, I think that some players go to IMG because they kind of look at it and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's going to get me better prepared for college. And, and from a football standpoint, which there's no, there's absolutely no data that supports players from IMG playing earlier in college. There's isn't. It's not like the, when they used to have Fork Union and Hargrave where those guys were a little older and, you know, if you took a post-grad year, you're more likely to play or whatever, or, or anything like that. Uh, there's no data that supports that. I mean, you, it's, it really is, if you're good enough, you're good enough. If you're not, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, and so that's the case there. Um, academics do play a factor. Uh, I know a kid that went down there uh, a while back, a couple of years ago, that he wasn't graduating high school if he stayed where it's at. And there's just, you know, some schools, um, you know, South Carolina and otherwise that, um, you know, they're just trying to help get their students through. I mean, they, they're not really equipped to sit there and, and help guide a kid through, get him eligible for college. And, you know, there's, it's just not, it's just a resource thing. Um, and then I think there's some people that, you know, probably, you know, just like there isn't any, any business or, or some people that aren't really good at their jobs at, at some of these places. Uh, I think that that's probably a smaller percentage of the fact that schools are just, you know, high schools are just overwhelmed. And then we, you know, all the crap that's happened was high school kids the last couple of years too. I mean, you don't know who's getting behind. I mean, all that good stuff. Um, you know, so I, I do think, to your point, Seth, there are some reasons that are valid why parents and, and players choose to go to IMG. Uh, Jaden Bradford, I think, I think the thing there is, you know, he's a quarterback and probably the next couple of years wants to play where there's a better supporting cast uh, than at Chapin. And that's nothing against Chapin, man, because look, Chapin has players and, and, you know, for a school that size, they, they, they do send a lot to college and, and stuff like that. But, but I think my understanding is, you know, he wants to go someplace and he's got a lot of good receivers that, where he can get ready uh, to go play at the college level a little bit better. Now is that, like I said, the stats don't say this guy's better because he went to IMG. Yeah, there, there's no trend that does that. It's basically, are you good enough or not? Um, but, you know, Gamecock fans, when they saw Bradford to IMG, I mean, I think, you know, on the bigspur.com, they put he gone. <laughs> He's gone. You know, nah, that, that's not going to be the case with Bradford. Um, you never know. But as of right now, I just don't think that. I think I think the Gamecocks are still in very, very, very good shape uh, for the young man out of Chapin. So uh, it's been something interesting, Seth, I've, I've talked about during my career for a long time uh, about the IMG thing. And I'd probably be a little bit more militantly against it because I love high school football and I don't want to see, you know, we've got attendance issues at high school games now too, in a lot of ways. Uh, The crowds in some of these small towns aren't as big as they used to be. And I think that's sad. It makes me really sad. (laughs) Um, And so I'd probably be a little more militant about it, but I'll say this positively. I know a lot of the people at IMG, and they've all got great hearts and they all care about kids and they care about making an impact on, on kids' lives. And, and so, whereas it probably looks on the outside like this, uh, you know, hype grab, money grab, whatever you want to call it, you know, I know some of those people have business relationships with them, uh, whether that's from the Under Armour All America circuit when I was with ESPN or, or whatnot. Uh, and I know their heart because I know them. And they take good care of their players. And that's, to me, kind of why I'm not as fire and brimstone against it, because uh, I know who these people are. And uh, so that's kind of the conflict with me when it comes to IMG. As a whole, I'm not – I'm a fan of high school football because I'm a fan of small towns and big games and, you know, uh, Eric Church songs. You know, you 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 think about the Eric Church, if you're an Eric Church fan – a lot of lyrics uh, about that. 
uh, and throughout country music, right? Um, but I love those. I mean, you know, I grew up in Spartanburg, Spartanburg Dorman, uh, you know, big game, Burns and Dorman, big game, Burns and Greer, big game. Whenever Spartanburg came to Broome, that was a big game out there in the Cowpens Packlet area, District Three. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, so from where I'm from, you know, uh, I hate it that, that some of your better players are, are getting out, but, 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 and going someplace else in Florida, you know, but at the same time, you know, there's different reasons for every individual. And then I know the people, and I think they're all good people. If there are a bunch of charlatans down there, uh, JC Sherbert, every time a kid transferred there, I'd have something smart to say about it, probably. Uh, but because I know the people, you know, not so much. Justin says, hey, JC, since both signing days are over, I was hoping you could give me some opinions of our top players in the class. Who, in your opinion, are the top three or four prospects in the class? And what player comparisons would you give them, Gamecock or not, Mr. White? Well, I hate player comparisons, so probably not going to, you know, not going to not gonna die, maybe if something comes to mind. Um, uh, I tell you, like, so – I'm going to do the high school players because the, the portal guys, I like all of them. I mean, you know, just about all these guys. I mean, we don't know how, how Christian Bill Smith and Lavoisier Carroll, you know, how's that going to turn out at running back? Um, Terrell Dawkins, is he going to start at the end or be a backup? Uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're, those are questions. But just about all these guys are like, you know, they're going to play. Antoine Wells, Devontae Reed, Terrell. I mean, this is a very good – uh, seven-person class from the portal. Uh, as far as the top guys in the class, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You can look at, like, the long-term projection, uh, and you can look at uh, who's going to play early. And those are two very different things. Like Xavier Short, uh, I rank the classes – or I rank the high school class 1 through 21 in terms of who's going to play early. Xavier Short's number five out of Chapin. He's the lowest-rated guy in the class. Because uh, that's a long-term projection, uh, whereas I think a lot of players from the high school ranks in, in this 2022 class, you know, they're guys that you know could get on the field early, but most of them are about a year away. And, and I'll give you an example of you know, like DeAndre Martin. Here, here's a kid that's six four and a half, two ninety. He's playing wide receiver two years ago. He's grown so fast. You know, you need a year to kind of get him. Uh, settled into his body and uh, all that. You know, Felix Hickson's a guy that needs to transform his body at defensive tackle. Uh, the three offensive linemen, Brubaker, Maines, Case and Henry, they're not coming in until the summer. All those guys are definite red shirts, unless one of them just blows up, which you can never rule out, but come on. Uh, Stone Blanton, you know, I know the Gamecocks are pretty happy with the older linebackers and younger linebackers they have. Uh, is he good yet? Is he going to necessarily play right away? I don't know. Landon Sampson's the number one guy that I think will play, and that's just because Carolina doesn't have a lot of receivers. Anthony Rose, Keenan Nelson, Peyton Williams are in the mix because there's still issues at safety. Uh, but then, you know, you look, Tanner Bailey, highest-rated high school guy in the class, he's a quarterback. So he's probably not going to play this year. He's probably going to develop. But, you know, so I would say I'm going to give you, like, Three, I'll give you four guys that I like. How about that? You know, and, and the reason why I like them. And this does not mean I don't like anybody else. So please don't think that. Um, Nick Emanuare, the uh, safety 
linebacker nickel type from Irmo 63208. Is he going to be 225, 230? Can he run? He can cover, you know, that kind of thing. Again, he's probably a year away, but you can see the upset. Uh, Anthony Rose, uh, number two, uh, is already there, and he's 6'3 as well. Uh, is he a corner? Is he a safety? I, I think early on probably a safety, probably will play. Um, but he's got special upside, and his size is great. And, you know, some people have compared him to Cam Chancellor, who played at Virginia Tech, who I think Torian Gray also coached. Uh, so there's a good one, you know, for you right there. I mentioned Tanner Bailey. I think he's uh, a very good air raid style quarterback. He puts the ball in the right spot. Uh, he's ahead of Braden Davis right now, but then you look at the upside of Braden Davis and you're like, man, if, if, if he develops, my goodness, my goodness. Uh, and then I did mention Blanton. Uh, and, and I think Blanton's the type of linebacker prospect that, you know, Carolina needs tough as nails, fast. Uh, again, he may may need a year, but you kind of look at what he will be twenty twenty three and beyond. Um, and and it's you know he's a four star All American guy. The Gamecocks went into another SEC state and beat the home teams on. Uh, that's that's good good recruiting there. Um, and this is a different kind of high school class. I, I call it a developmental class because by and large it is. Now look. Keenan Nelson Jr. is another guy. Don't sleep on him uh, coming in and, and competing at safety this summer, the four-star kid out of Philly. Uh, I think he kind of got a bad rep because of some, you know, maybe a, a slower time at a camp or something, which, you know. But I watched his senior film. He's he's a good player uh, and, and could step in. Like, like, let's say Rose or Peyton Williams, both safeties that are there right now, don't necessarily get in the too deep. Keenan Nelson Jr. could. Uh, once he gets there. Uh, and so, I, you know, you look at it like there are a lot of guys that are sort of developmental. Uh, watch receiver with, with Landon Sampson, Xavier Short. Uh, I don't know that Kylie Horton's going to be ready because he's coming from eight-man ball. Uh, watch watch those spots, though, and watch the defensive backfield. Uh, maybe edge a little bit because they are a little light there. But uh, when you're talking about what high school guys can get on the field early, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Landon Sampson. I'm looking at all the defensive backs. Uh, and then maybe Brian Thomas Jr. at edge. And if Jamal Weiss is an edge, maybe that as well. But, I mean, you know, a guy like Demetrius Watson's coming in at D tackle. 6'3", 289 pounds, has been timed at 4'6", in the 40. Tremendous wingspan. I mean, you tell me what that guy's going to look like in two or three years. I mean, you know, it, it's just – it's it's upside. And and that's the reason I think the portal has been such a blessing for Carolina uh, is because you had a class this year with, with a lot of upside guys uh, in state. There are a lot of guys that, that you look like Watson that you look at and you go, my goodness, the upside is here, but he's going to have to be coached for a year uh, to be ready to go in and play in the SEC. And so there's a lot of guys like that. But then you look at the portal guys and they're all guys that can come in and play. And they're all kind of at different stages of their career. I mean, Lamonte Carroll's got four more years, left. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's why I think overall this recruiting class is really, really good. Uh, and uh, regardless of where it's ranked, and it could end up being really, really good. It just kind of depends on what happens moving forward. Uh, so thanks for your email in the IO Consulting Mailbag. Mr. White, certainly appreciate you.
And certainly appreciate everyone else uh, in the IHOP Consulting mailbag. Uh, don't forget, like I said, Gamecock basketball tonight. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a victory and the sixth SEC win, 15th overall for the Gamecocks this year. <laughs> Baseball starts this weekend. We'll talk more about that, more about recruiting. Uh, big info-packed episode today, though, and certainly appreciate all of you. And, again, hope you had a great Super Bowl Sunday slash Valentine's Day. It was weird for me that those two events were on back-to-back days, right? Uh, but I guess that's the way it's going to be now. Right. So we, uh, us guys have to kind of navigate our way around that. All right. JC Sherbert inside the Gamecast podcast signing off. You guys have a good one.